a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Our young people today are truly in the middle of a mental health crisis, one that began long before the pandemic did. Now we have new data from the CDC, which finds that teenage girls specifically are reporting record levels of sadness, depression, and suicidal thoughts. So what's driving our young women in particular into despair? And most importantly, what is the path toward hope and healing, confidence, and a position of strength? And to help us uh, figure that out and take a, a good explore, Jenny Howe, of course, is a counselor and therapist who works with teens here in the state of Utah and is one of our great go-to resources. Uh, Jenny, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's dive into it a little bit from the, the CDC, talking about these uh, record rates of, of sadness. Uh, give us a sense from your experience, what you're dealing with, with some of, of your uh, clients, uh, in terms of where we really are, especially with young women. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I see with young women all across the board is more of an opening to accepting that they are entitled to have feelings of sadness, which might be kind of an interesting way to look mm. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just so so part of that is just a uh, a little more open space to to admit it uh, and, and to explore it. Exactly. And I think, you know, well, that is can be alarming and kind of frightening, especially when we look at statistics. I think it's a really positive thing in a lot of ways where we can now actually talk about the feelings, particularly women um, are having young women in particular, that is causing them to feel that the way that they are feeling. So the fact that they're expressing this on the data and the reports that they do in schools is, in my opinion, a really positive thing. I think we can look at it from a really hopeful lens. Yeah, I I love that. And that's why we have you on this show, because you help us go Mm -hmm. beyond the numbers, uh, because you can look Mm -hmm. at the numbers and you can't actually get discouraged yourself saying, oh, no, what, you know, we're we're in this big black hole and and there's no way out. Uh, So that's an important thing, that there is a space there. What else do you glean Uh, from some of the reporting, some of the numbers, uh, and how does that uh, help us have a better conversation about our young women? Yeah, I think young women in general are are particularly susceptible, I can't say that word online, um, (laughs) but are are triggered by this idea that they have to be everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, in our society now, there is a lot of pressure on women. We are reliant on dual income households and we're reliant on and have opportunities now for women that maybe weren't as culturally acceptable even like 15, 20 years ago. And so with that comes a lot of pressure to kind of do it all. I think a lot of the research coming out of the pandemic for mothers in particular was that like not only did their workload increase while working at home, but it kind of tripled in terms of the time that they were spending on the clock with family and work. And I think that that type of pressure is our kids are seeing it, especially our teenage daughters, and that can feel like they have to be it all all the time. And 
And that's a lot to handle. And that can lead to feelings of hopelessness, I think, often for, for younger girls. Yeah. And especially as we look at it from the uh, everything going on online, everything from the, the comparative lens that everything gets viewed in uh, from mm-hmm. body type and, and body shaming to who's with the cool crowd at the cool party uh, and everything yeah. in between. Then you, you add cyberbullying into that. Uh, help us navigate mm-hmm. that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I think that our kids, I mean, I don't know if they're ever going to get used to it, but I think there is this really added component of the pressure that they feel where they are constantly monitoring and comparing themselves to others online. And while I do think that all of the bullying and the shaming and all of that stuff exists online, there is also a space of acceptance that hasn't previously existed, Mm. especially for like marginalized populations where you see kind of this anti-body shaming movement and you see a lot of people um, feeling free and open to kind of say who they are online. And so I do think that there are two sides to that. I don't think that that is such a dreary thing, um, but I do think that the key here is having open conversations with our girls especially, and especially as mothers and fathers, to be able to have a conversation and say, hey, like, what are you seeing online? What are you feeling when you see online? Open up your, you know, their Instagram with them and look at these accounts that can also provide the positive outlook. Uh, that's so important. And, and dig into that a little bit more for us, Jenny, in terms of those beginning spaces or opening moves, so to speak, in, uh, mm-hmm. in creating space for that conversation uh, with your daughters or uh, granddaughters or nieces or whoever it might be. How do we start that uh, and really create that space? I think it has to come within the the world of safety, emotional safety. And I think we open that up with our teenagers 100% of the time by modeling what we're uncomfortable with. Mm. And you've heard me say this a million times, Boyd, and I think I'm a little bit of a broken record in this regard. But the more that we are authentic with the way that we feel and the way we present ourselves, to the world and to others, that's what our teenagers actually are hearing from us. So if we just sit down on the couch and we're like, hey, what are you thinking? You're probably going to get like a less than 5% chance there of your teenager open up to you. <laughs> but if you like are sitting at the kitchen table or you're making dinner or you're driving them to lacrosse practice or whatever it is, and you have the opportunity to have a conversation with them, Talk about yourself for a little while. Talk about what you saw on Instagram that day. Talk about the pressure you're feeling in your life and how when you were your child's age that it felt differently and what you hope for them. Put it in the perspective. Put the ball in your court. Put the vulnerability on you. And oftentimes, in fact, I think most of the time, teenagers are really going to reciprocate that level of vulnerability. But if you're not giving it to them, I, I don't think we can even expect them to reciprocate it. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
Yeah, and I hope you say that 10 million more times because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can ever hear it enough. That courageous vulnerability as a parent or as a youth leader of some sort uh, yeah. to, to model that is so important because, as you said, if, if you don't do that, uh, I had someone uh, text me during the State of the Union and said, you know, we could have made this a one-word State of the Union. Just ask a teenager, what's the State of the Union? <laughs> they would say, fine, <laughs> and they'd be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I agree, you know, and I think that, too, this this vulnerability thing that you and I talk about a lot, like, we have this space, like, this report, the CDC report, to come full circle here, gives us a space and an opening to kind of look at ourselves and how mm. we're feeling. And then offer that information to our child. So data sometimes is helpful for us to kind of use as a springboard for ourselves. Yeah, and I, and I love that. I love the idea of even going to uh, a teenager and say, you know, here's this new national report has come out. Uh, how are you seeing mm-hmm. that manifest at school or how are you seeing this in your friends? Uh, what are some of the other ways mm-hmm. that we can we can foster and nurture those kinds of conversations? And as you said, create that space where they can reciprocate with some vulnerability of their own. You know, I think a big, a big key to talking to teenagers, I just had a conversation with a parent about this today, actually, is going in with pretty low expectations and not making it about you. (laughs) When I talk about like, you know, and I think that's kind of just a good life rule in in relationships, but with teenagers, especially because their developmental stage is one of opposition. They're supposed to oppose what your opinions are. They're supposed to oppose what your values are. That's literally their job. And what they're doing is trying on those things for size and figuring out what fits for them. And so when we open up a conversation with a teenager by like asking them direct questions or maybe even making like some insinuating judgment, Mm. um, they're going to close off. So a good way, an example of doing that, I mean, I'm kind of still on the Rihanna Super Bowl kick in my world and in my life. So like a great example of doing that would be like, hey, I was watching, you know, this Rihanna thing. And I was thinking like, wow, there was this pregnant woman like doing this huge show on stage. And like I saw online that a bunch of people were kind of dissing her for that. They thought it was like kind of a lame production. What do you think about that? I don't think that's very cool. You know, kind of bringing up a conversation that's in popular culture um, that gives them an opportunity to feel like you're not judging um, and you're just creating space is it doesn't feel personal to your teenager. But what it will elicit is kind of a, a discussion on morality and values and character building and all of those things that we really want for our kid. Oh, I love that. Uh, and then just uh, real quickly, anything else uh, from the numbers uh, that mm-hmm. could lead to different, you know, whether it's positive or negative that we take away, what's yeah. something else we can take away from that that might be helpful? You know, one thing that I noticed in the numbers that I, I think is really helpful to talk about is the suicidality versus suicide attempts. Mm. I think sometimes when we see that word, that can be really scary. The fact that our kids and our teens and our girls are talking about feelings of hopelessness and suicidality is such a positive thing. That is not a scary thing. It's scary when they aren't talking about it. And so suicide attempt numbers are dangerous. Those are alarming. As clinicians, like we get really concerned about those for sure. But when I'm looking at numbers and they're telling me that we're seeing an increase in people feeling and talking about suicidality, 
that's phenomenal. To me, that's growth because we want to make those conversations normal and we want to make them accessible. So I think that there are some like positives we can take from these steps. Uh, So important. And I think uh, all of it, you know, has to lead to this one thing I think coming out of the pandemic is, is just that connectedness that we've, we're Mm -hmm. we're regathering, we're re-going to school. The kids are, are back in sports and and dance Mm -hmm. recitals and all the different things. Um, But I think a lot have still not really reconnected with with other humans yeah. uh, and it seems to be part of that isolation and, and loneliness that leads to a lot of these other uh, despair issues without a doubt yeah i think you know one of the best gifts we can give our kids as parents is to foster developments with people outside of our home you know to make sure that they're involved in extracurricular activities they don't have to even cost money but to make sure that those are things that are accessible for our children so that they can have connections with people and find safety and connection with people outside of the family unit. That's what really encourages connectedness, right? Is feeling like there's not just one or two people to rely on, that there are lots of people who love you and lots of people you can turn to if you're feeling like one avenue isn't working for you. And so as parents, you know, we, we do have some say, you know, (laughs) we can say like, Hey, this is something that's, that's an important thing in our house. Like you're going to do an extracurricular. We're going to stick through those things and fostering and creating a space where that's an expectation, I think can be really helpful for Uh, connection. So powerful. Jenny, Howe, as always, we appreciate your perspective, great insight and helping us navigate uh, all of this, especially with our young people. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today as always. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. All right. Again, that's Jenny Howe, counselor and therapist who works with teens here in the state of Utah. And she is the best of the best from navigating. And you can see uh, even how Jenny puts that together in terms of some of these pretty depressing numbers they could be. But she sees them as an opportunity for some serious and authentic conversations that can help our young people. I love that. It's past the headlines. All right. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. More to come on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.